afternoon. Hope everyone's doing well. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. Paul read to us from chapter 3. We'd like to go to chapter 2 today as we finished chapter 1 last week. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 1 and we'll break this chapter uh, into two par- par- portions. We will go through verse 30 today and then uh, finishing the chapter or maybe finishing a chapter next week. Daniel chapter 2, beginning now in verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep brake from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians, and the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. The king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled, to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syria, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you shall be cut into pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, you shall receive me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of certainty that you would gain the time, because you see the thing is gone from me. But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. For you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me. Till the time be changed, therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things of any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth. There is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. The decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changeth the times and seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hath given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Therefore, David, I'm sorry, therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, 
Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captains of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, what should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known unto thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. But for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we again thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in this place, on this day, to worship and to praise your name, and especially, Father, to look to the Word, the truth, the foundation for our life, knowing that it contains absolute truth for all people in all times for all reasons. Father, what a magnificent thing that you, the omnipotent, the omniscient God, has given to us. Father, we would pray that this afternoon that these moments we have to share with you, that relationally we will never have been closer as we strive to seek your will on earth. We would ask the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher, that you would go to the very depths of our being, putting there the words of truth. For therein, Father, as we yield to the Spirit, that's how fruit is grown. Father, we thank you for all of the things that you will do this day, because you are God Almighty. We trust in you, we humbly bow before you, again looking for the Spirit to lead our study. We thank you now for what you'll accomplish in these moments. In Christ's name, amen. Daniel chapter 2, last week we finished, as we said, Daniel chapter 1. We saw uh, Daniel in action, if you will, as a young man. Uh, In the year 605 B.C. was when uh, chapter 1 took place. It was a time when it was the first deportation, if you will, of those in, the, in Judah, the southern part of the kingdom, the northern kingdom had already been taken captive by the Assyrians. And now in 605 B.C., uh, the first deportation, these were hostages, if you will. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, who was not in chapter 1 the king, his father, Nabopolassar, was, uh, was in charge. He was the king, and actually it shows in chapter 1 he had to leave early, that being Nebuchadnezzar. He got to go home because his father passed away. It was actually in the month of June. And so he went home to care, take care of business. And now one thing is we, I'm saying that because the time frame, the context here, we want to know where we're at. Uh, chapter 2, I believe, very brief. Uh, there's, there's, it follows rather closely to chapter 1. It says that in chapter 2, the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, think for a moment... How did we finish chapter 1? Daniel and his friends were subjected to some training, which was going to take how many years? Three years. We find that in chapter 1, verse 5. So now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It says this is the second year 
of King Nebuchadnezzar, but chapter 1 ended with three years being starting in 605. Well, one of the things we need to make, it, it actually makes sense when we understand from the, from the, from the Babylonian style of, of li- listing their, their years of reignship, the first year was called a, just a year of ascension. So literally for the first year, Nebuchadnezzar was not even defined as being a king. So that year was kind of a, an intro, if you will. It was almost like an initiation. So he really didn't start his kingship until literally a whole year later. If you add those two, plus the second year of reign, you find right there that we're in the third year, literally, of Nebuchadnezzar, which would see this would follow exactly chapter 1 would be just following tightly. Now, that makes sense from this reason. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this here, and then it'll flow as we go. But the, the uh, wise men, that's all of the soothsayers, the magicians, the, all of those fancy-pants wise men, I guess I'd call them in Babylon, it says that they came to the king upon his request, and Daniel and his friends didn't go to that. And there could be different reasons why they didn't get along or whatever. I I really think this, that being so closely after the graduation, if you will, of their their education, that they probably were still seen as apprentices. They were not considered at the height of these others, shall we say, that were so cool. (laughs) So I I think that adds perfect credence to where we are in the sense of the context of this whole thing. Now, the other thing that I find, uh, I always want to know if we can, if we can know, the ages of those in Act 1 we find... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar in his second year, second full year of, of, of kingship. And I, how old is Nebuchadnezzar? Because it seems like for him to have a dream and he can't understand it and he is in fear. It says that his sleep, he couldn't sleep. How old is he? Now, obviously, he's at the beginning of his, of his reign over the, a large land of Babylon, which would be quite intimidating, would it not? His father just passed away. What if this would have been three years previous? And I would say he's just getting his boundaries, his parameters, his logistics in place. And now to have something of this nature, and dreams were a big deal in that time and time and age. And for him to have something he couldn't remember or recall, that would be very troubling. But it's, a, it's in my digging historic, uh, history that Nebuchadnezzar is probably about 27 years old right here. So a young man, obviously very powerful, very arrogant, very in charge at all moments, right? That's, just, we, that's what you know about Nebuchadnezzar. He was a very uh, ruthless, demanding, and in this case we find him a raging, angry maniac in a time because he can't understand a dream. Well, let's go back now to verse 1, chapter 2, and let's pick it up. The second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he dreamed dreams. Now, that's plural there. Wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Um, and have you ever had a dream where you would just wake up and you can't even get back to sleep? It was a troubling one. It was one that just really pressed you. And yet you can't put all the details together. Now, there are other times you wake up and oh, I have no idea what that means. It was completely stupid, but I at least remember what it was. You've had both of those probably. In this case, Nebuchadnezzar was very troubled by, and look, let's, let's keep going. It says he was dreaming dreams. But then in verse 2, it says the king commanded to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, for to show the king his dreams, plural. So they came and stood before the king. Now watch verse 3. The king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, singular. There's one in particular that seems to really have haunted him. And this is the one that really lays out for him a bit, an awful lot of trouble. He could not grasp this dream. He was terrified of it. 
And uh, anyway, he's trying to find out what that's all about. He's filled with fear. Now, there's four of these particular people, uh, groups that are named here, the magicians, first of all, which would probably be fortune tellers or potentially even occultists, uh, astrologers, those that would be stargazers. It would be like today, uh, I don't even know where they have it. Do, do newspapers have, like in their daily newspapers, have a, a, horoscope, a horoscope page where... Do they still have it? Okay, and essentially, then, uh, depending on when you're born and what time, time frame you are a whatever, I don't know. But you understand what I'm saying. And so then they would, they would kind of judge the stars and the travels and all of that, and they come up with this whippy-dippy uh, thing. It means absolutely nothing, but it's so vague and so bizarre that, it. oh, well, that's what's going to happen today. Okay, it's the same deal back then. Even astrologers were studiers of stars, if you will, and, and their travels. Then they have the word sorcerers. Sorcerers. Those would have been the spiritualists. Those would have been the enchanters, the mediums. And necromancy, have you ever heard of that word, necromancy? That would be those that would speak with the dead, channelers, uh, very highly forbidden in the scripture. In fact, Saul, King Saul at the very end, just before he was actually uh, committed suicide ultimately, he went to speak with, guess who? There was one of them. Yeah, he went to the witch of Endor, which, again, he would have, she was afraid of Saul. <laughs> that was a bizarre story, wasn't it? Here comes Saul dressed up, not looking like himself, and he says, I would like for you to call up some, who is that, who did he call up? Samuel? Sam, that's right, that's Samuel. Okay, so he comes in, I'd like you to call up Samuel. Oh, no, 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 Saul, if Saul found out about this, and Saul's right there, just think of how far he had fallen, literally. And then all of that taking place, it's a whole other story, but literally that was very, very highly forbidden by God within his word. And, but this would have been involved in the sense of the sorcerers. That was in reign uh, that they would have been involved with. And then it says the last, the Chaldeans. As we find them in verse 10, we find that the Chaldeans were the spokesmen for the group. They said the Chaldeans answered before the king. They were kind of the spokesmen, the speakers, the prominent ones anyway. And these were known to be the wise of the wise, the wisest. Now, this would also have been... Um, the people of which, uh, obviously Nebuchadnezzar, but also his father, would have been from these, the Chaldeans. Uh, like maybe just stepping back in history one more time and just seeing how this all fit together. Nebuchadnezzar's father would have been a co-regent, a co-reigner in the Assyrian kingdom, which would have been in that southern part where Babylon was. And after the king of the north actually died off, then he usurped all of that authority. And he, at, at, uh, Carmel Kamesh, that, that victory there allowed the Babylonian Empire to really expand and emerge. So the Chaldeans would have been, if you will, the favorite place because of the, birth, or, or the area that Nebuchadnezzar and his father would have come from. But they were, had, a, had a great deal of authority. Now, he, uh, he had a dream, and then there was a dilemma, if you will. There was a dilemma. something. That come, and by the way, this was a day, any day in the kingdom of Babylon. I mean, it's just wake up one morning and it's like any other day. Those wise men, those wise guys that they got up and they said, it was just another day to look cool and be cool and get paid and go have lunch and lie to somebody and all that sort of thing. And it was all good. And all of a sudden they were summoned in by the king. And he says, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a, a challenge for you. Now this wouldn't be the first time that they would have been called to do this. This is what they did. Okay. They were supposed to be able to answer tough questions. In fact, it's thought that they even had what would be called uh, dream or vision books. And what they would do is they would, it, it's more of an analyzation of a period, a long period of years. Let's say that there was a dream and this was the dream. And then they would watch what happened to that person's life. 
And then we'd take notes of that, and they would report that. So they actually had all of these different dreams or aspects of in books. So all they had to do then, was, and, and again, how, how accurate were they? It really didn't matter, because as long as you were general enough, and I, you, you the horoscope, it's exactly the same way. What, or a fortune cookie, or all of this stuff, right? Oh, that's going to totally... Right? It doesn't make any, it really doesn't make that much difference. So they were just waiting, as usual, just give me the dream, we'll interpret it. This time it was a little bit catchy, a little tricky though. He couldn't remember the dream, which was even more troubling to him. So he brings them in, verse 3, and it unfolds. It's went from me. And he gives them two choices, essentially. Verse 4, he spoke to the Chaldeans, in, to the king, and now it's Syriac or Aramaic. From this point, from this is interesting, from verse 4 of chapter 2 all the way through chapter 7, which would have to do with the, a Gentile era, if you will, all of those words are translated in Aramaic, which would have been the common language of the Assyrian kingdom. And especially having just been outside of the Assyrian kingdom just a few years, this would have been the common language, particularly the court language, and we would call the professional language, if you will. So from this point on, they speak in Aramaic. O king, live forever. That's a good thing to start off with. Always tell him he's a great guy. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Sounds fantastic. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, again, they had been the spokesman, he said, the thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, you should be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made into a dunghill. But if you show the dream and the interpretation, you shall receive gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. It sounds rather very straightforward, doesn't it? You either get cut into pieces and your house becomes an outhouse. Literally, that's, that's the deal. And, or B, we will give you rewards and great, great monies and all that kind of stuff. So, so let's, which choice would you rather have? <laughs> well, choices are not the problem. The problem is we don't know the dream. Now, the interesting part is now this is where truth would really start to saturate the entire of all of this stuff. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar has ever trusted these guys. Just the way it's worded, he doesn't trust these guys. And now for them to come up with the dream and the interpretation would tell him that, wow, those guys do know what they're doing. But he's going to know he dreamed it. He, now, he has is, he is totally forgotten. I don't, I don't think he's trying to be out here on a limb. If he knew it, he wanted to know the answer. Because did you see it? He was very fearful. But the point is, if they come up with a dream, he's going to know if he had it or not, right? Because if somebody relates something to you that you dream, that's exactly it. You know what I'm talking about. Even at my age, I can't remember very much. But when that, that's what I was talking about. It would be the same thing. The dream and the interpretation. That's a dilemma. And then they start to try to get away. They're slithering, if you will, kind of, uh, kind of meandering, trying to get out of this thing. There's a deficiency, of course. Now, amazing, they, you know, they searched the stars of heaven, but they didn't know the maker of the stars. They couldn't read minds. Now, that's, that's an interesting thing right now. Who's, who's, let's take these astrologers, the occultists, the soothsayers, the sorcerers, all of those people. Whose agents are they? They're Satan's agents. I can't say, I was going to say angels. Agents, and we could say it's Satan's angels as well. We call them demons. But nonetheless, I think there's something here that we don't want to miss. Number one, it was obvious that these guys did not have the power, even being very, I mean, these guys worshipped Satan ultimately. All the practices, all the things that Satan was, is known for, they were very highly involved in that. They couldn't read the king's mind. Satan can't read your mind either. 
That's a very, very important thing to know. Satan cannot read your mind. Thank God. Now, he's a, he's a very good judge of character. He's a very good judge when you set it up. He knows what you're reading. He knows what you're listening to. He knows where you're going. He knows what you're about. And so he can guess. But I find this really backs up that whole sense. He cannot read your mind. He is not as powerful as God. And when I say, what is the opposite of God? The answer is silence. There's nothing. Satan is a created being. Oftentimes we want to have the opposite of good is evil. That's good. But the opposite of God is not Satan. There is no opposite to God. We must continue to, to keep that in our minds that he and he alone is sovereign and completely in control with no equal, with no equal. All right, let's keep going. They, uh, they, they're looking for time now. They answered again. Now, he's laid this out, the two choices, neither of which they thought was very doable without knowing the dream. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. In other words, they didn't think he heard them. The king answered and said, I know of certainty that you would gain the time because you see the thing has gone from me. But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. There is, for you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me the interpretation of it. That sounds really good. See, I think he's testing them. I really do. There's a point here. He's, he's wondered of all of, these, all of these years being basically surrounded with all of these wise people. And his father had them as well. This isn't something that he just brought on staff. This isn't an initiation process to just see how these guys work out. This would have been part of the entire kingdom and empire for many, many years. The point is, I don't know if he ever believed it. And this is a perfect opportunity. You know what? If you can tell me the dream, I'll believe the interpretation. That sounds good, doesn't it? In fact, that was the one. Think back when Pharaoh had the dream, then Joseph interpreted it. When, when Joseph told him the dream and how it all fit together, it was just like it just resonated. He didn't have to. Do you really think? No, it was just, it just laid out there. It's the same thing. If these guys could tell him the dream that he dreamed, he would believe their interpretation. Well, they keep going. Chaldean said, there is not a man on the earth that can show the king's man. Bingo! <laughs> How long have they been telling this story? This is kind of like finally just shedding through. You know, there's not anybody that can do that, even though we've been doing that. <laughs> right? I like it. I like it. And there's no magician, astrologer, Chaldean. And it is a rare thing that the king requireth. There is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Uh, when I read that, uh, again, it's not the first time, but when I read that, I just think of what God did for us. Jesus Christ, that name, remember Emmanuel, we talk about it at Christmas time, God with us. Literally, that's how God described him, very, his very self, is to have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, living within the framework of flesh. Amazing, isn't it, to see our God in flesh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, let's keep going. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious. Now, I would have thought it would be enough to just say he's angry, but no, he's angry and very furious. What does that mean? He is in a rage. In fact, at this point, have you ever seen anyone that's really in a rage make great decisions? No, it's impossible. Your emotion is so high, so out of control, so out of it. Whatever you do right now in a rage is almost 100% bad idea. So now let's think what he's going to do. This, and it's from, from his perspective, this is still his best shot of understanding this dream, which he doesn't know. So the best thing we can do is just cut them in pieces <laughs> and make your house. I mean, I'm like thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't solve anything. I mean, you can, you know, if you distrust them and just kind of boot them out, take them off the payroll, do something different. But why would you do this? Because he's, 
He, why, is he, why is he angry right now? Why is he angry? This is very important because this is what's happening in our country today. Why are people angry? Because they're fearful. Fear usually has anger at the other side of it. They're tied together, just like that. Fear and anger come together. Now, again, you say, wait a minute. Well, Jesus Christ was it. Yes, he was. How few times we are angry to the point of having a righteous anger that we are angry at the very same things that God is angry at. Okay, many times our think think of it now again. That those are the exceptions where we have a righteous anger that I think are so minuscule, so minuscule. We like to jump on that bandwagon. Well, Jesus was angry that yes, he was, but for us to be in the same time in the same context and frame is very very minuscule in the sense of those opportunities. I want you to think about the times that you're really really angry. You know what's usually behind it? Fear. Fear of losing something. Fear of not getting justice. Fear of whatever because something's been been taken care of. All of the, in fact, I would even say this. Remember when David got really, really, really mad because Nathan pointed out to this man that had stolen a little ewe lamb from that one poor guy? He was furious. You know why? Because there's a great deal of sin and fear in his life at that point. And then when Nathan pointed his finger at his, in his face, he fell in repentance. God has a way of doing it. But this, this man, Nebuchadnezzar, is angry because he's fearful. And he's powerful, but he's fearful. He's mad because he's, in fact, it tells us right in verse 1 of chapter 2. Let's keep going. All right, looks, looks bad. It looks bad for the wise guys. It looks really bad. Act 1 is closing down. The curtain is falling on it. And he is going out with a decree. Let's read verse 12 again. For this cause, the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Stop. That's, you know, have you ever been, you've been to a play or something, and you have that act one, and then the curtain falls down or slides across? And then they, re, they reboot. They get her set up, and you have a... That's exactly what's happening here right now. And as you close that out, and there's a decree that goes out, all the wise men, you go, well, well, how about Daniel and his friends? Exactly. They're on the hit list, too. Well, that's not fair. Watch what happens now. Act two begins with verse 14. Here we go with Daniel and his friends, and there's a new man we find engaged on the stage. Verse 14. Then Daniel answered with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. Let's stop there. Who's Arioch? That was Ashpenaz. That's okay, though. That's okay, because that actually is a name we're going to come into, too. Arioch's a new guy. What's his deal? What, what does he do for King Nebuchadnezzar? He's his hatchet man, literally. He's the guy that executes people. In fact, his, the word, if you, if you translate it to the captain, that word actually means cutthroat. Literally. I mean, you're, how would you like to have that job? How do you get that job? You must not like anybody or anything. Now, that's what I want you to keep in mind right now. There's something. Now we're going to start to see Daniel unfold in, I want this word in your mind, a crisis. A crisis. How is Daniel going to react in a crisis? This is a crisis because we've got a guy that showed up. His name is Arioch, and he's there with a sword. And he is going to slay. Now, he's probably got a team that's went through the entire town, the entire uh, city of Babylon, because the decree is you don't reject Nebuchadnezzar. Every wise man. All of us, do you know how, many, how few wise men were probably on that day? I'm not a wise man. I don't know anything. <laughs> right? But there was a list. There was a roster of those that were included in the wise men cabinet, if you will. And here they come to Daniel and his three friends' house. 
Arioch is this executioner. He knocks on the door. Daniel says, hey, how you doing, buddy? What's up? Um, there's a decree to slay all the wise men. Well, for goodness sakes, Andrew, come on in. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's talk about it. Really, that's what he did because I'm convinced. He didn't, he, this is something you want. This is number one for Daniel in every phase, every case. Think of it, the lion's den. Remember that? There's something about Daniel that was, that was always absolutely evident in his life from chapter 1 all through Daniel in every single case, no matter who is emperor, no matter who is king, no matter what the situation, no matter what the crisis, number one was always composure. Composure. That's the first thing in Daniel's life. He was always composed. Now, this is a crisis. I don't know how many of you have had somebody knock at the door and rocks in with a rifle or, 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 or a big knife and says, I'm here to kill you. Let's talk about it. That's what Daniel says. That's what he did. I mean, and, and now think about this. Now, this guy that's an executioner for Nebuchadnezzar, do you see him as a really talky kind of guy? <laughs> I don't see that kind of thing, right? I think this guy is harsh. He goes home and bites the dog when he goes home at night. And, you know, he's just, he's just this mad guy, right? That's how you get those jobs. Think of the, uh, the Roman... I would say very much the same people that were at the foot, foot of Jesus, at the cross of Jesus Christ. Those weren't nice people. And yet Jesus Christ, he didn't say hardly anything. And they said at the very end when he said it is finished, he truly was the son of God. That takes something. How many crucifixions have they been at? Many. How many, how many places, how many people have this guy killed? I don't have any idea, but I'm sure it's not his first one. Because it said he was the head of. Now, this is what's really cool. This is how God puts stuff together. When you have a crisis, you really have a crisis. They got the top guy come to their house. It wasn't some flunky. It wasn't somebody down there was the first time. This is the head captain of the execution committee. And Daniel says, really? Well, what caused the king to do that? Isn't that fabulous? Composure. Composure. That, that is one of the first things that really should be front and center for a Christian that is living on God's lifeline, that is living on the connection of his strength. When we're out of composure, guess what we are? What, what could have Daniel done? There's a couple things he could have done. He could have gotten what? Angry. I didn't do anything. Or he could have been fearful. Either one of those, again, what does it do? It steps away from what our position is in Jesus Christ. Now, he's composed because he's confident. Confident in what? That God has him. Now, he had just watched in chapter 1, three years previous, he laid out this plan with, as uh, Jerry had said, Ashpenaz. He was the head of the, of the eunuchs. And he comes up with this plan with Melzar, which was his, um, I'm going to say his helper, his right-hand guy, right? And says, I'll tell you what, if you let us eat vegetables and water, how many days was it? 14 days? Is that right? Two weeks? Was, I can't remember now. Why should Ten, was it 10 days? Let's go find it. Let's, let's make sure. We've got the word here. Let's go back to chapter 1. And it says, um, there it is, verse 15, at the end of 10 days. Okay, so he comes up with this plan. And he didn't know it was going to work, but he trusted God because God had, he had, he had, God had made laws in regards to dietary limitations. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and trust God with this because God has asked me to do the right thing. And he says, give us 10 days. And you know what Daniel had said now three years? He could go back and this is why in your own life, to remember things that God has brought you through gives you strength for tomorrow. That's very true. And Daniel said, you know what? That was, I remember God stood right by me there. And you find this from this day all the way forward to the end of his life. Composure was always his first response to a crisis. 
That's something I don't see in Christians as often, and myself included. We usually have some sense of emotion that ourselves. Why do we respond without composure? Because we're depending on ourselves. Daniel is fixed 100%, stood rock solid in his footing on Jesus Christ, or God in this case, but he's fixed totally on God. That's really, really cool. Now, not only that, it gets better. Let's find out how relationally, you know enough from chapter 1, Ashpenaz and Melzar, Daniel really convinced them that he was their friend, right? They had a great relationship. Now, here's this Arioch walks in with a sword, and he leaves without using it. How do you do that? You show me a Christian with composure and love, I'll show you someone that has an awful lot of, of influence. Influence. Speaking the truth in love. I mean, he's got, he's, it's not him, Arioch, he's not the problem. And you know, watch this, watch this develop. This is really cool. Uh, what verse are we on? Uh, okay, okay. We'll read verse 15 again. He answered, he just found out he's going to be killed. He says to Arioch, the king's captain, well, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch, watch, made the whole thing known unto Daniel. He unfolds this whole thing that the king had a dream. He calls all the wise guys in. They can't answer it, and they actually make the king really mad, so he's got a decree to kill them all. Well, for goodness sakes. Now what's Daniel going to do? Well, that's a bummer. Should we try to figure out how to get away from here? Should we try to run away? What should we do next? Now, how old is Daniel right now? I told you how old King Nebuchadnezzar was. How old is Daniel right here? Probably 17 or 18 years of age. (laughs) I would try to outrun him, right? (laughs) Athleticism should be on his side, right? No, you know what he does next? Because this is the second thing that happens in a Christian that's really firmly rooted in God is this. Not only do you have composure at the outset, you have a great deal of courage to do what God wants you to do. Watch, watch what he does next. Now, what was, how, did, how, did, how was Nebuchadnezzar left when the, with the magic guys when they left? How was he? He was super ticked off. I think when you take angry and really furious together, that is super ticked off. And Daniel doesn't have to read between the lines. If he has just received from Arioch the captain of the guard that his job is to execute all the wise men, that decree didn't come because Nebuchadnezzar was happy. Watch what Daniel does next. We go from, I should write these down because I want you guys to remember this. So the first in Daniel's, now if we were going to say, chapter one, if you were going to say what was the main characteristic of Daniel's life, it would have been, Okay, and I'm going to, it's, it's uncompromised. He totally was on, he purposed in his heart. Chapter 1, verse 8, key verse. He purposed in his heart. He was, he was uncompromised. Couldn't be bought, couldn't be sold. Okay, so from that being uncompromised, really, literally, he has an incredible composure. Even in the sense of, a, again, put the, for, the boxer on crisis. In a crisis, he was composed. Secondarily, we see the fact that he was extremely courageous. Let's watch what he's going to tell Arioch right now. I'm not even sure Arioch was too good with this. He says in verse uh, 15, we'll read it one more time, I'm sorry. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch told the king known to Daniel. Then, watch, then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time. Now stop for just a second. Just whoa, 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 whoa. I want to show you the sense of what a composed Christian with courage can get accomplished. 
Are you ready? Now, what did the wise men ask of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar? No, he, he summoned them. They come in. He says, tell me the dream and the interpretation, and you guys are going to be really, really well rewarded. And they said, well, we, you got to tell us the dream. Then we'll tell you the interpretation. And what did they want? What was the one thing they wanted? Time. How did that work out for them? So here comes little Daniel. Dun, 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 dun. He's 17 or 18 years old. Goes into the king and says, Sir, I understand that you've had a dream. I believe that if you give us some time, I can tell you the dream and the interpretation. There shouldn't even be a drum roll right now, right? Why, why should the king give him time? And the king says, Okay. <laughs> it hurts my head almost. But you know what? You found that was with Ashpenaz. You found it with Melzar. You see it with Arioch. And you find it through the king. Darius, all of those people that he served with, he had a fantastic relationship. Because he had a way of speaking in a way that was, I don't know, it was just, well, I don't know the right word. I'm looking for a C because we're on the C today, right? Okay. But especially in a crisis, composure and courage together. That doesn't happen very often. You know why? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute because there's something I'm going to keep asking. Why is that? Why does he have that? Because we are sitting here today and we are being asked the same thing. How do we deal in a crisis? We'll even we'll see that even yeah down the line even and I mean the compassion. This is jumping ahead a bit, but it's a perfect place to spot it. Now, would you have cared very much about the guys that set this whole thing up and blew it out of proportion and now everybody's got to be killed? Do you know what? He had enough compassion. We'll see this in a minute. That he said, oh, by the way, Ariok, don't kill them either. I've got it all figured out. Or God has it all figured out. No, don't, don't do that. That's compassion, isn't it? So often we don't have as much compassion as we should because you know what he was concerned about? They didn't know God. Isn't that fantastic? I mean, Daniel has it together. He's 17 or 18 years old here. I, I'm just, I marvel at that. How good of you would have you been in this crisis at 17 or 18 years of age? I mean, there's nobody in this room, right? I mean, that's crazy. He's 900 miles away from home. He's just been indoctrinated. Now, again, they studied it, but they didn't believe it. That's astrology. They knew astrology upside, inside out because they'd studied it for three years. But you know what? There's a difference between knowing it and believing it. Sometimes I, I study evolution, not to believe it, but to understand where the other people are coming from so that we can apologetically get to the bottom of the roots of what they believe. Now, see, Daniel would have known a lot about that. There's another... Th oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So he goes to the king, and he asks for time. I may have asked for something else. Like, I don't know what, but not the same thing that got the other guys in trouble. And yet the king said, okay. Now... The other thing we want to keep in mind, what do you think has gone through the king's mind as he has made this hasty decree? How, what, what was his position emotionally? He was enraged. Now, at some point, he must have just calmed down a little bit, right? And he's thinking, well, wait a minute. What are my chances of understanding if I kill all the wisest guys in Babylon? Let's give him some. I mean, we should think about this for a second. And what would have been a perfect time for Daniel to walk in? He said, King, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm here to ask for one thing. If I could have a little bit of time, and knowing Daniel, he would have said, I was going to pray to my God. And I just know Daniel would have done that. And he said, could you give us a little bit of time? And we'll give you the dream and the interpretation. No question. That's confident. Why would he make that? Why did he do that? Let's go to chapter 1, verse 17. 
Because Daniel was given gifts. He was given opportunities. He was given things that literally were said, said about. Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. As for these four children, this is at the end of the, this, this, the training, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And watch. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Ah, my goodness. So now, why wouldn't he just blow it in there to Nebuchadnezzar and said, okay, here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's the dream and here's the interpretation because I'm good at this. Sometimes we rely too much on the gifts that God has given us, right? We come just a little bit on the prideful side. Boy, that's not Daniel. That's not Daniel. Do you know what he says? He says a little bit of time. Then he goes home. And the third C we find is... Excuse me? One more time? Yeah, we're, that's coming. Not, not yet. Number three is the fact that we're going to find communion. What's the thing when you're really in crisis? You know what I want to do? Not only having composure and courage individually, I want to get together with others. I want to have communion with other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to pray about it. What does God want out of this? Right now, in fact, I'll tell you, this week I was, uh, let me write it down, communion. And I'm not talking about the Lord's Supper. I'm talking about gathering with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. These three friends, I wonder what they were thinking. Oh, I cannot believe Daniel went down to see the king. But he did, because that's who Daniel was. And he comes back and he says, let's pray. We've got to pray, guys. I was, I was actually in a shop in Manhattan or Amsterdam, Montana this, this week, uh, just picking up some stuff from one of our clients, a customer of ch- corn chopping. By the time we got, we were praying in that shop for truth and justice to prevail in this country. It was so cool because there was just three of us there, but it was so fervent and it was so accelerating in the sense of we were, we were reaching out to God. Now, there's nothing wrong with you doing that internally. We pray all the time. But there's something about when we're together praying in a group. There's something about that that energizes us, right? You know it. You guys are nodding your heads. So Daniel goes home and he says, we need to pray. Let's watch it. Let's watch it. Verse, um, verse 17, just nonchalantly, he gets time. Then Daniel went to his house, and you see that word then? It's just, oh, it's just so systematic. Then Daniel answered, verse 14. Then, verse, then Daniel went in, verse 17. Then Daniel went up. He went to his house. He made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that we would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel, oh, now, wait a minute. Isn't that cool, too? So that night, I would, I would have to say, was it, I, don't think, I don't think that Nebuchadnezzar gave him a lot of time. Yeah, why don't you guys have a committee meeting for a couple of months and then get back? Oh, no, I don't think so. It was a very short window, I'm sure of that. And that night, literally, in a night vision, Daniel was given the dream and the interpretation. Now, some have thought that he actually was, he dreamed the same dream. I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is that he got everything he needed to know to be able to expel all of, of Nebuchadnezzar's doubts and fears about the dream and the interpretation. Now, what would you do right then when God gives you the answer? I am going to the king and I am going to get my neck from being cut off. No, not Daniel. Not Daniel. First things first. First things first. Now, what would you say that he... Let's read, let's read the verses and then we'll come up. We'll see if you guys got a better word than I do. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel, verse 19, in the night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. 
He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. That's the omnipotence of God, the all-powerful. I think of verse 21 even today in our country. Behind all of this stuff going on, God is still God. He's never removed himself from being God for one second. Aren't you glad? It would be fearful. I would be fearful if God wasn't in charge. In fact, that crisis that Daniel was in, if he wasn't grounded, rooted firmly in, in God, it would have been the same thing to him in the sense of fear. Verse 22, he revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. His omnip, um, omniscience, knowing all things. He's, he's really reaching out, praising him. That's the word that was. Verse 23, I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hath given me wisdom and might and hath made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Now we could call that praise, but since we're on the C term, because I want you guys to just go zip, 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 you're going to composure, courageous, communion. You guys got a good C? I see blanks out there. Now, I, in, in some time in the armed forces particularly, they will offer a commendation, right? So we're going to go with commending. Commending. And if you'd rather put praise, I'm good with that. That's one that we're really familiar with. But he takes time out, Daniel that is, to praise God, to commend him, because that's where the answer came from. Oftentimes we forget that. When we're anxious, we pray out, we cry out to him. We maybe even meet as a group. We have prayer meetings. And then I I remember as as a kid, we had prayer meetings for rain because it was so dry and we would pray for God. And you know what's amazing? How easy it was to first forget when God answers a prayer, isn't it? It's very easy to do that. I love this. I mean, he literally got the vision and he was praising God as immediately. That's the right form. That's the right action. Now, let's keep going. Let's find out what happens next. That was the end of Act 2. Clear the stage. Verse 24, we start off with a whole new act. A whole new act. Oh, I was going to... Do you mind? How are we doing? We're okay for time, aren't we? Was, there was another person that I wanted to give. You know, this is an Old Testament example of courage under a crisis. Composure and courage. That is, by the way, that is not common. Even amongst Christians, that is not, com- that is not common. It should be, but it's not. I want to take you back to another, uh, another situation back in Acts chapter 27. Let's go back there for a moment. Acts chapter 27. 27 and we're going to start about verse 14. Acts 27. We find Paul in action. Acts 27. Now, what's taking place is Paul and some prisoners are being taken, going to head off to Rome, and they've been traveling by ship, and there's this, they were moving actually from a, uh, I should have given this to Laramie, but there's a map if you think, they were at Fair Havens, and they were trying to get to Phoenix. They were trying to get in a little better place for wintertime. And this is where we're picking up now. In verse, uh, oh, let's see here. Let's try, oh, should have written it down. Let's try verse 14. They had just left this place called Fair Havens. They were going to try to go to Phoenix. Verse 14, chapter 27 of Acts. But I want you to get the, I want you to feel where they're at. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called the Euryclidon. This, this is a vicious, vicious wind. When the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat which when they had taken up, they used helps and undergirding the ship, 
They were actually putting ropes under so it wouldn't break apart, fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strike, strike sail, and so were driven. We were being exceedingly tossed with a tempest. Now, are you, how many of you have been out on a sailboat? I've never done it. I, I mean, did you get in situations where the wind is pretty bad? Or were you careful to do that? Okay. Okay, very good. You know exactly what's about. To, this, this is a hundred times what Jerry just described for us. This is literally the boat is going to break apart. That will not work out for this guy. I am not that water guy. I don't like that. Okay, and this storm is incredible. Plus, it's, it's in the fall, early winter months, so it's cold. It, this, is, this is nothing to be, to be messing around with. Let's see, where are we at? Uh, verse 18, we being exceedingly tossed with the tempest. That gives you a picture. The next day they lightened the ship. What do you mean? They threw stuff off, threw supplies off. The third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. That means it's pretty serious. When neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. It sounds like a crisis to me. You ever been where all hope is gone? Whew. That's serious. Let's keep going. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs? In other words, do you know what that meant? He wanted to say something a long time ago. (laughs) But the rest of the people were so fearful, I'm convinced, they wouldn't have even heard him. Now all hope is gone. Great time for a Christian to rise up with composure and courage to speak a message. Let's see what he says. Let's keep going. Uh, But after long absence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete. See, he had said that. He said, guys, let's not leave Crete. Let's stay here. Let's just stay here. We're good. Oh, no, we got to go. And so he's, first of all, reminding them, you know, what I told you before was the best counsel, but you didn't listen. I'm here with you. Let's keep going. And to have gained his harm and loss, now I exhort you. I'm encouraging you to be of good cheer. (laughs) Oh, that sounds tremendous. Have you ever told somebody to cheer up and it's about as bad as you could possibly imagine? That's probably coming from a Christian that's well-grounded and has composure and courage. But let's keep going. He says, There stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, that means he's got to get to Rome to do that. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Therefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told him, told me. Howbeit we must cast onto a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that we drew near to some country, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms. When they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon the rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion to the soldiers, Except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the, watch now, the fourteenth day that you have tarried and continued fasting, having taken, think of that, for two weeks they ate nothing. And he says to cheer up, (laughs) it gets better. Watch his composure and courage. Therefore, I pray, verse 34, you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not a hair fall on the head of any of you. And we had thus spoken, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of, did you see it? Good cheer, and they also took some meat. I'm going to stop there. There's 200, 
And how many more were on that boat? Next one, what does the verse say? 203 score and six. 276 people were on that boat. And you know what? There was not one of them that perished. Do you know why Paul could have composure and courage? Because he trusted his God. <laughs> Love it, don't you? I had to show you one out of the New Testament, too. Now, let's keep going back in Daniel, lest we forget that. We've already struck on this one, but let's go now. He's got the dream. He knows the interpretation. Now, Act 3, verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went in unto Arioch. He's going back to the guy that came with a sword, said he was going to slay them, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. Watch this now. He went and said thus and it. Before he goes to the king, just think of this for a moment. Would have the wise guys been in your mind? No, I want to get to the king and spare my life. He says to Arioch, verse 24, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon, period. That's compassion. He has compassion on those that really, who could care less, right? I'm sure that, in fact, you find those guys later actually being a thorn in his side, but he has compassion to all of those around him. And then he says this, Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. <laughs> Verse 25. This is a little over the top, isn't it? Arioch. What do you know about Arioch? He's the, he's the sword guy, right? He's the guy that, that executes people. So now Daniel goes to him, and he says, I've got the interpretation. I've got the dream. You know, let's go in. To, let's, let's go in. But by the way, don't, don't, please don't. Do not kill the other wise guys. Don't do that. So here he goes. Here comes Arioch. You can just see him on a speed run, a sprint, and he goes this. <sighs> um, I found a guy. I found the man of the captives of Judah and that knows the interpretation of, I found him. I found him all by myself. Right? You can just hear it, can't you? <laughs> That's like making points with a king, right? <laughs> but it's interesting. The king just kind of pushes him. He doesn't even recognize him. And look at the next verse. It says, the king answered and said to Daniel. He didn't say anything to Arioch. <laughs> He already knows about that. Whose name was Belteshazzar. We've got to make sure and get that in there. Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? I mean, do you think he'd given up? I'm convinced Nebuchadnezzar didn't think he had a chance of finding this out, which is even more perfect how God has him in a place of he's questioned and he's been fearful long enough now. He is ready to listen to what God is laying out. Sometimes it takes time for us to be ready to listen to what God has, myself included. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers say or show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed, which should come to pass hereafter. And he that revealeth secrets make known to thee what shall come to pass. Now watch verse 30. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. But for their sakes that shall make known for the interpretation to the king that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. This is the most impressive thing about Daniel right now. I mean, I, you know, you can just, you just look at him in a crisis. I mean, this guy, Matt, excellent composure. I mean, it was unbelievable. I, I, have to be, I, I just wish I could get a quarter of that kind of composure. Okay? Courageous? I mean, that's a capital C. Communion? I mean, that gathering himself with other fellow, fellow brothers in this case, praying unitedly before God? 
Awesome. Commending or praising? Oh, my, the timing was, I mean, it was just perfect. Compassion just dripped off of him. You find that everywhere all through Daniel. His enemies or not, it didn't matter. He was always compassionate, always compassionate. But the thing that strikes out to me, and I'm struggling with another C on this one, is the thing that really made Daniel Daniel. And that's why I'm convinced that it was this aspect, this characteristic of his life that literally make him so approachable. And Arioch, Ashpenaz, and Melzar were so, I'm going to say, almost intimidated by this because he was irresistible. You know why? Because he was truly 100% humble. Now, we're going to go with contrite heart because it's a C. <laughs> contrite. Whoops. Try it again. That is really what made Daniel Daniel. Humility. You, want to, you know something that will really, really make an impact on people around you? Is when you can be humble. When you can take no credit for yourself. In fact, you don't even think about yourself. You're thinking about others. It's amazing here. These, we had men there that were studying the stars. But Daniel knew the maker of the stars. His relationship with God was really the deal. Now, that's what I want to, if we get to this, we say, what made him so outrageously good at that stuff? Did this make a difference in a crisis? It, would these things work today? God wants these things in us today. It's not like he just, give, he just gave Daniel these things, but here's the key. And we actually spoke of it several weeks ago because this is the key to this thing happening. There is no way that you could have composure, courage, communion, commending spirit, compassion, and a contrite heart unless you were connected to Jesus Christ in our case. If you are, if you are not connected... You could not possibly that. That's why Daniel, man, we, we, we spent the first week in Daniel going back to trying to find out how did Daniel at age 14 or 15 have that kind of an uncompromising stance to serving his God. And we found under Josiah the king, when he was a king at eight, and when he was 26, he found, somebody found the law of God, and he starts reading, he was, he just repented. He cried out to God, and there was a whole revival that just stirred the land. That's what happened, needs to happen in America. That's what we need, to have. we need to have a revival that totally grips and grasps our nation at its roots. It doesn't matter who's elected president right now. I want truth and justice to weigh out. Yes, I do. But I want a revival for God to be raised up and for Jesus to be proclaimed and enlightened in men, men and women's lives because that's where life comes from. And the only way you can have life is to be plugged in. It's like your cell phone. If I don't plug mine in every night, that bad boy is dead. You know what? If we don't get plugged into Jesus Christ, we're dead. And oftentimes we try to do it ourselves. There was a story of a, a, an elderly lady, very, very frugal. And it would actually surprise the neighbors that she got her electricity hooked up. This is many, many years ago. When electricity you know, was just going around and you were getting hooked up. And several months went by. And finally the, the, uh, the guy from the electrical company came back to give her a visit. He, he says, uh, are you having any trouble with your electricity? She said, no, it works perfectly. Well, he said, I'm confused because I'm looking at your meter, and it, it just it doesn't move. I mean, it, you know, there's just very, very little. Well, she said, it works perfectly. She said, when it's sundown, I turn the lights on to light my candles, and then I turn it off. <laughs> Too often, our relationship with Jesus Christ is just like that. Just enough power so we can do our own thing. We will not have composure, courage, communion, commending spirit, compassion, or a contrite heart. If we don't have full speed, the, flip, the switch flip full up, 
You're just not going to get That's what John chapter 15 was all about. I am the vine, you are the branches. We must abide in Jesus Christ. Now, sin, even though we're not immune to it, sin is like blocking. It's like a resistance to that current that's trying to flow into our lives, that's trying to exude this strength. How, how, comp- how composed are we when we have sin lying in our lives? That sin that besets us, it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Looking on to the author and finish of our faith. Anything that gets between us needs to be shed off. And that's what the, even the strength of the vine does that. But do you see the connectedness that, Dave, that Daniel had to God is the key to every one of those six, that was six things in his life. And they are the key to us today, regardless of circumstances. You can't say that Daniel's life's easy right now. In America, it looks like a wreck. It's, 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 a, it's a cakewalk compared to what Daniel's involved in. And you know what? He's composed. He's courageous. This is in the face of death. Gathers this. Now, that's the one thing that I'm, I am fearful for our nation right now, in the sense of where churches are. I, w- I want to read, I'm going to re- well, finish with Hebrews. Well, there's two verses, two things that are sticking in my mind right now, but I certainly want to give us Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, because that's really what we need to be doing, and that is to be assembling together, particularly in times like this. All of the lack of truth and justice, all of this upheaval in the whole world that's taking place. Let's, let's go there, but I want to fi- I'll finish with Ephesians. But let's go to, to Hebrews chapter 10. It's vital that we get together. The key, I really think, to Daniel and those three friends were praying together. That was the climax. It's interesting. Where is it in the sixth? It's right dead in the center. Right dead in the center. Communion. He needed to have, where did I tell you to go? Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. This is for us. This is literally for us today, particularly. It even mentions the way it says it. Let's watch and read it together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke. That word is to encourage unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting. Again, another word for encouragement, but encouraging one another. And watch this. And so much the more as you see the day of... What day? The end. <laughs> That, those verses are for us today. And that's probably the most serious thing that I see in America today is trying to shut down the relationship of, of, of uh, people with God. It is super, super important. There's a lot of things going on I don't like. That one there is the most insidious. That is crazy what's, go- what's, what's going on there. We need to be very wary of that. But here's the deal. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. This will be our closing section. Ephesians chapter 3, and let's start. This is a, this is a prayer, and we've, we've done it before, but let's just, let's just think of it in the sense of being connected, to be abiding in Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, and watch what Paul is praying for these people at Ephesus. Verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. This is a passage you need to really know and keep close to yourself. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, comma, of whom... The whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height that's four dimensions to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now think of that. To be plugged in, to have the fullness. To, uh, not, not just that, not just that. Being filled with the fullness of God. You see the difference? 
being filled with the fullness of God, the very essence, and to be filled with it. Now unto him, verse 20, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That is a powerful prayer. That coincides, I think, perfectly with the crisis that Daniel found himself in with his three friends on just another day. Think of that. This wasn't just another day. And by the end of that, they were in a crisis. He used composure, courageous, communion, commending spirit. He was so so praising of God, compassion for those that really didn't even care for him, and then a contrite or a humble heart. That, that last one is just his override. That's really the thing that, and it not it, it's the driver. It is the driver to making us everything that God wants us to be. Pride goeth before the fall. Okay. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for Daniel. Thank you for what, here's a 17 or 18 year old man that literally is on fire for you, Father. He has taken his stance. He's taken his his grounding firmly, firmly established in you. Thank you for all of the things that you've used him to do. We think of how you used him in a Gentile world. Those many miles, probably about 900 miles from home as a youngster being deported, taken as a hostage. He went through three years of training to try to brainwash him, taking him away from family. And yet those four guys, Daniel and his three friends, held firmly and attached completely to you, Father, in what they knew of the law and how they prayed and clung to you in prayer. Thank you for their witness literally 25, 2600 years ago. And we know this, Father. You are no different today than you were then. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. The only key component difference is the fact that literally we had the opportunity to know that Jesus Christ came in flesh. As those wise men said that only a God that would know that, and they don't come in the flesh. Father, you even did that. Emmanuel, God with us. And then to think that God himself, Jesus Christ in flesh form, died on a cross to save us from our sins. Because that is the one thing that can't ever happen. You'll never have these six components without being connected to Jesus Christ. And the only way to get connected to Jesus Christ, that is to abide or to be attached to the vine, is literally to come the way he says you must come. And that is to come humbly, asking for forgiveness because we are sinners. And to accept the free gift that Jesus Christ offered by him paying the price, receiving that grace by faith, trusting Jesus Christ with everything in your life. And literally at that moment, when you've trusted him, ask for forgiveness for forgiveness of your sins and repenting of those then you become a brand new creature and you are connected to him because the holy spirit in jesus christ literally live within you indwelling you the strength then just is a matter of turning on the switch and how does that happen by reading the word and praying and communicating directly with him father the blessings that we have at our disposal are unimaginable even as paul said above what we can even think or ask you are capable of accomplishing Father, we just lift up our country today and all of the citizens there and the many that do not know you personally have never even probably heard of you honestly in a, in a, in a truthful way. Father, I just ask that the gospel would go out and reach and touch those through the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
We lift you up. We praise your name for all that you've done for us. We ask for your blessing upon us coming in this week. Be within our life journeys. These men and women are going places, Father, that will be very distinct and separate in their, in their walk of this week, Father. But bless them and take them and use them because you're, they will see and talk to people that are designed and destined totally for them to be utilized by you. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We want to, again, pause to thank you for being a God that can be trusted, that's sovereign, completely omniscient and omnipotent. And these things we ask and praise and pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.